0: Great days. Oh, if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, please. If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about how powerful my cell phone was compared to my first computer and how I was eagerly anticipating getting a more powerful one. Well, I have good news. I have secured the more powerful phone with uh, way, way more memory both internally and uh, added on than my old computer ever had. I paid a fair price at Costco. You know, Costco always puts their stuff out and makes sure they've got a good price, usually a lower price than anybody else has, so I paid a fair price for it. But, you know, of all the crazy things, while well, I'm standing at the counter talking to the guy and starting to do my business, a guy walks up, and we're talking phones and the new generation and the old one, and I said, yeah, I got this phone. It's pretty good, but this is, you know, the new one and so on. And, and he says, uh, how much are you going to sell that old one for? And I said, well, I'm going to sell the old one for a hundred bucks. And he said, uh, well, I'd like to take your name and phone number because I think I want that. And I said, great. So he said, I don't have the money today, but I'll have it next Friday. I said, great. Took his name and phone number and, and uh, he walked off. And pretty soon he came back and he said, here's a deposit. And he gave me 20 bucks. Next week he came and gave me the hundred bucks. I sold my phone for a hundred bucks. That paid for half of my phone. Next week, I'm reading the paper. I'm scanning the Best Buy ads, and lo and behold, Best Buy has this phone for half of what Costco was selling it a week before. <laughs> oh, buddy! And I'd a- I specifically asked when I bought it, I said, now what if I find a better price somewhere else? Oh, we have a low price guarantee. So I went right back to Costco, and now Costco has lower than Best Buy. <laughs> And they said, no problem, just bring your receipt in. So I brought my receipt in. They gave me back the rest of the money. I made 20 bucks. (laughs) I made 20 bucks buying this phone. Yeah. So I'm going to start a business buying phones. (laughs) What an incredible thing. If you'd have told me ahead of time that that was possible i said, no way. There's no way that's possible. That is too good to be true. There's a lot of God's promises that people really feel that way about. They say, that's too good to be true. That is not possible. And we're coming to another one of those promises this week, another one of those commands, another one of those, those things that God tells us to do. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, be... Anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Is it really possible to be anxious for nothing? Is it really possible to have the peace of God no matter what's going on in life's circumstances? I just want to say, yes, it is. And we're going to understand a little bit more about that today as we study God's Word. The thing that we need to understand, first of all, about God's peace is this. Peace is God's will for us. Peace is God's will for us. This is just one scripture which talks about the fact that God wants to give us peace. He does not want us to live in in anxiety or worry. Here are some other scriptures. Jesus himself said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Clearly, Jesus said, I want to give you peace. In John 16, we read these words, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's not my phone ringing, because I turned the ringer off, and if it ain't Jesus calling, you better not answer it. I'll tell you what right now. (laughs) That joke's good about once every five years, Ralph. So... Um, Jesus wants us to have peace. From the Old Testament, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And from Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And lastly, the last verse we'll look at, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace, Always, in every way. Now here's the challenging starting point, friends. Do you believe it is God's will? Maybe I should put it this way. Do you accept God's will when he says, I want you to live in peace? I think we could say this. The normal Christian life is one of Peace. Now, in your mind, are you being tempted to say, I just can't believe it, it's just too good to be true? Or maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor Dave, that's easy for you to say, but you don't know my situation. Or the Apostle Paul, he doesn't know my situation. Well, I would say that's true. I don't know your situation, but God does. And God says that peace comes in spite of difficulty. Peace comes in spite of difficulty. What were Paul's anxieties at this very moment? As Paul pens these words, were there things that could have been giving him anxiety? Turn back to chapter 1 and look at verse 12. The first one of the things that could have been giving him anxiety is here first uh, Philippians one twelve. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace garden, to the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they're going to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The apostle Paul is in prison, and there's some guys on the outside, pastors, elders apparently, preaching the gospel in some type of mental competition with Paul somehow trying to make him feel bad maybe by the fact that they're free and they have a church and everything's going great but he's in prison and they're trying to make him feel bad in this situation and the apostle paul could have been sitting there saying this isn't fair i don't deserve this i should be out there i'm the apostle paul i should be out and so on so on so on no he says don't worry about anything look at chapter 1 verse 21 For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of the faith. The Apostle Paul had a real struggle wanting to go to heaven. Very few of us struggle that way. Maybe when we get into real difficulty like he was. But he wasn't wanting to go to heaven to escape his earthly difficulties. He wanted to go to heaven just to see the Lord. But he knew he was needed here on earth. Can you imagine that kind of pressure that was pulling on him? And there's one more anxiety, that, one more thing that could have produced anxiety in him. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or i am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together in the faith of, for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition. The Apostle Paul was concerned about their conduct while they were under persecution. That greatly concerned him. He wanted them to succeed. He did not want them to fail and to give up and to, to uh, deny the Lord like Peter had and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and so we, we see that the Apostle Paul had, and I'm not saying he lived in anxiety, I'm saying he had situations which could have produced anxiety or worry in him. Look at this one from Second Corinthians. He just talked about all the difficulties he's been through, and then he says, besides all of those other physical persecutions I went through, what comes upon me daily? my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Can you possibly imagine what it's like to be the Apostle Paul who traveled all over what we call the Mediterranean, the northern Mediterranean, and he started churches in all these places? And now he's, he's sitting in jail and, and he's thinking, I can't go help them. He's stuck. He hears about problems and he can't go to them and and preach God's word to them and encourage them. He could have been filled with anxiety because he had many challenging situations and yet he lived in peace. How do I know that? Here's one example from his life. This is from a time when he was dragged into jail, put in chains, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. They took nightsticks and beat them. Okay? And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. I'm telling you, if ever there was a time to be moaning and groaning, that would be it, both physically and spiritually. Physically, for obvious reasons, spiritually, to be saying, God, I'm out here doing your work. But not Paul. He's having a prayer meeting and a hymn sing. And of course we know that God came down and shook the prison, let him loose. The Philippian jailer got saved. Can you imagine the testimony when when this piece of scripture got to the church at Philippi and it's read and he says, be anxious for nothing and the Philippian jailer, the jail, that, that guy who's talked about there who got saved is sitting there in church and he goes, man, I remember that night they treated him terrible and he was singing hymns and praying. The Philippian jailer could give testimony to the fact that the Apostle Paul was not just talking about some, some, possi- excuse me, some possibility out there, but it was a reality for him. Not that it wasn't challenging, not that it wasn't, Um, something that he had to work at, but it was something real and possible. We all have trials and challenges and difficulties and hardships. We all have questions about the future. We have concerns about what will happen if. But God says we can have peace, period. Not peace when the difficulties go away, but peace. Peace. Peace comes in spite of difficulty. And peace comes from God when we have peace with God. Listen to the declaration of peace, which gives the great calmness to our souls from Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified means to be made righteous. It means for God to declare that he has taken away the penalty of sin. How does God take away the penalty of sin? By faith. When we believe in the person of Christ and the sacrifice that he gave for us, God takes away our sin, and in place of it, he gives us peace with him. Romans 8 says that because of that new relationship, we can look up to God and say, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The greatest peace that we need is peace with God. We need to know that there is not a day of judgment for sin hanging over our head, and we're worried about what's coming in the future. That is the greatest worry that anyone can have. We need to know that we are securely on our way to heaven. We need to feel connection with God, not condemnation from God. And so I ask you today, have you believed in Christ as your Savior? Have you gotten the peace From God, the peace of God, because if you haven't, you'll never experience the kind of peace that Paul is trying to teach us about in Philippians 4. Colossians 1 tells us a little bit more about how that peace came to us. It pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's what we celebrated here today. The blood of his cross, this juice represents the blood of Christ that paid the penalty for our sin. And through that, we have peace with God. And you who once were alienated from God and enemies in your mind because of wicked works, now has been, you have been brought back together, reconciled to God. Believing Christ, believing in Christ as your Savior is the beginning of peace, but it's not the final word because as Christians we have to carry on and understand that peace comes from God through walking in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is peace. And, of course, there's a whole series of things that comes from the Holy Spirit. As a believer in Christ, we have the responsibility of maintaining our fellowship with God by righteous living. And that's why Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You are either, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, you are either walking in sin... Or walking in the spirit there is no middle ground one of the reasons one of the real problems we have as Christians frankly it's it's how I lived as a as a teenager I tried to straddle that ground I had believed in Christ as my Savior I had a confidence about going to heaven but I didn't want to or know how to get my foot out of sin And it took a long time for me to realize God wanted me to step over here. As long as you are straddling the Christ life and the sinful life, you will never know the peace of God. It just won't be there. You can pray. You can come to church. You can do whatever you think is very religious to do. It will not come. Peace comes from God through walking in the Spirit. Romans 8, 6 says to be carnally or to be be fleshly minded, to have a mind like an unsaved person. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is responsive. Responsive. When we are obedient, his work is producing spirit fruit. When we are disobedient, his work is convicting. If you do not have the peace of God, one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, am I walking in the Spirit? First of all, have I believed in Christ as my Savior? Second of all, am I walking an obedient Christian life? Now, I understand that none of us walks perfectly. That's why we have the opportunity to confess and to be right with God every time we sin. Peace comes from God through walking in the Holy Spirit. Peace comes from letting go of the control of life. Look at the phrase in Philippians 4, please, where he says, be anxious for nothing. In the King James Version, it says, be careful for nothing, and That might make some people think, throw caution to the wind, do whatever you want, it doesn't matter. That's not what God is saying. Uh, The literal meaning of this word is to be drawn in different directions. Isn't that how we feel like when we get worried, when we get anxious, when we get stressed, as we like to say? We feel pulled. One of the great examples of of this is from Mary and Martha when Jesus came to dinner, or Jesus came to their house and Martha was going to fix dinner for him. Mary sat at his feet listening to his teaching and Martha is frantically trying to prepare dinner. And after a while, she comes over to Jesus and says, make my sister get up and help me. And Jesus said, she's chosen the better part but what he says to Martha is, Martha, Martha, you are drawn in many directions. You are anxious or worried. What, what's the stuff of life that we've got to let go of control of? Uh, in his commentary uh, on this passage, uh, Robert Gromacki summarized it down to these three things. He said, In Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't worry, don't try to control the basic necessities of life. Don't try to control things that cannot be changed. And don't try to control the problems of tomorrow. That's about it, isn't it? That's about everything we worry about. We worry about the stuff of life. Am I going to have enough food, clothing, a house, etc.? We worry about things that cannot be changed. In Matthew 6, the example of things that cannot be changed is your height or the amount of hair on your head. And Jesus is using that as an example to say there's some stuff in life you can't do anything about. And then, of course, he talks about the problems of tomorrow. He said, look, you cannot do anything about the problems of tomorrow. And so he says, stop trying to control that by your anxious thoughts. But God doesn't say it's a sin to plan our work or to think ahead. I want you to think this through because I think there's all kinds of extremes that can get us into trouble, but I want to look at a passage that talks about how Paul thought and acted and understand that there's a difference between letting go of the control of life and just not giving any effort at all. From Romans 15, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome before he'd ever gotten there saying, for this reason I have also been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place where I am, I have a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duties to minister are the material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed them to them this fruit, I will go by way of you to Spain. Now that reads like a missionary prayer letter like the one I got from uh, Kurt Jones this week, where he, he says, here's my itinerary for the next few weeks. And Kurt has the kind of ministry where he's, he's you know in one country in Asia, or he's in uh, Pennsylvania, or he's here or there. He's moving around all the time because of his different assignments. And, uh, and so you read that, and the intention is, hey, here's my plan. You can pray for it. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He said, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna go there. Does that sound like a guy who, who exerted no care whatsoever about his future? No. He had a plan, he had a desire, but that doesn't mean that things went the way he expected. Okay? Paul is not here in Philippians 4 calling for us to just give up trying or doing. He's calling for us to to lay down our attempt to control our world by our anxiety. And he says, stop worrying about those things. Just let it go. One author put it this way, Paul is not calling for apathy or inaction, for as we make plans in the light of our circumstances, it is our Christian privilege to do so in full trust that our Father hears our prayers for what we need. And that brings us to the subject of prayer. Obviously in verse 6, and our sixth point, prayer comes from resting in the God who is near. That's what we looked at last week from verse 5. The Lord is near. Well, how do you rest in the Lord who is near? A significant part of that, according to God in verse 6, is giving our concerns to Him in prayer. Several words are used for prayer here, and the first one is a general word of communicating with God. And it seems to indicate the attitude of worship or the the mindset of worship. The second word that's used is supplication. And uh, one author uh, summarized it this way, the desperate cry for help arising from need. In other words, the first word is just anytime you're talking to God with a worshipful attitude, the second word is, God, I need help. I've got a desperate need here. The third word is request, and it focuses on what is being asked for. And the fourth word is thanksgiving, which means thanksgiving. That's pretty profound, isn't it? The Apostle Paul says you have a choice as a Christian. You can live in anxiety and worry and care about all the stuff that you can do nothing about, Or you can live in the dependence upon God through communicating with him. What are some things that we ought to pray when we are anxious? Now, I've just put together some ideas here. This is by no means an exhaustive list, and I'm not even sure that it's in in some kind of priority order. But when we're anxious, we ought to say, God, please help me to see your power in this situation. Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The, the word revelation in Scripture means to open up. And so the, the Apostle Paul is saying, I am praying that you will have a, a greater understanding of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling the, and that are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. When we are facing something that causes us to be anxious, we need to say, God, help me to see your power here. Help me to see how big you are and what you can do. Secondly, we ought to pray, show me how to live through this. Sometimes we're so focused on take this away, take this away, get this off of me, that we don't say, God, please show me how to live through this. There is no temptation or test or trial that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tested beyond what you're able, but with that test, with that trial, with that anxiety-inducing thing, will make a way of escape. We need to say, God, show me the way of escape. Now, he doesn't mean escape like how to get out from under it and put it in your rearview mirror. He means how to deal with it, how to handle it so that it doesn't crush you. Please show me how to live through this. Number three, please strengthen me through this. When we face things that are causing anxiety, we're tempted to think this is going to kill me. This is going to crush me. This is going to ruin me. We ought to pray for his strength. 1 Peter 5, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you, Man, that's what we need to be praying right there. God, perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Settle me. Help me as I work through this. And one more. Please help me to see what good you are doing in this. You know this verse. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We need to say, God, help me to see your good. Most of the things that cause us anxiety are not things that we normally call good or joyful or happy. And so we need to say, God, help me to see your good. Now, what thanksgivings ought to be expressed in prayer when we're anxious? Again, just a few ideas. Number one, I'm so glad this isn't a surprise to you. That's referring to what we talked about last week. The Lord is near. The Lord is near, and and God knows about our problems before we do. I'm so glad this isn't a surprise to you. I'm so glad you're bigger than this. I'm glad you're near. I'm glad you answer prayer. Thank you for all the ways you have helped me in the past. I think this last one is probably the key idea that God wants wants to get to us in this verse we're facing an anxiety and we're tempted to be all frantic and oh what am I going to do and and we're caving in and God says first of all tell me your concern but he says as you tell me the concern give me thanks has God ever helped you in the past Has God ever brought you through something that you, back then, you thought, wow, I can't handle this? And now you look back and say, wow, God did bring me through. And God brought me through there, and God brought me through there. And and even now, as I look at my situation, I could see ways that it could be worse, and I'm thankful it's not that way. And and so I look forward and I say, oh, God, thank you and, and please. Hebrews 13 says, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name continually. There are times when it's hard to give thanks. I love this little quote, though, from from Kent Hughes and his commentary. Thankfulness is the posture of grace. Thankfulness is the posture of grace. And as I thought about that, I I, kind of thought through it this way. How do we get saved? Christ died on the cross. But how does it come to us? For you are saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. We get saved by grace. Did we deserve salvation? No. Do we deserve a blessing from God? No. We deserve to go to hell. But God saved us. So how should we respond to a wonderful gift we didn't deserve, the gift of salvation, we should respond with gratitude. And so this idea of of, of thankfulness being the posture of, of a person who has been saved by grace, by a gift. Why does God want us to pray when we're anxious? Excuse me. Why does he want us to pray when we're anxious? I think it's summarized very well again by Kent Hughes. As we bring our requests, we are casting all our cares on God and declaring our absolute dependence on Him. As we bring our requests to God, we are casting all our cares on Him and declaring our absolute dependence on Him. Maybe you've heard this little poem said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. I suppose that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. One author that I read this week said, if we do not depend on God in prayer, but instead live in anxiety, it is a practical kind of paganism. Now you wouldn't want anybody to call you a pagan or a heathen or or an unbeliever, and yet if, if God has said, look, you don't need to live in anxiety, give me all your concerns, I will give you peace instead. And yet we choose to say, no, I don't think that works. That's too good to be true. And so we stay in our anxiety and we fret and we fume and we work and we try to control. It's no better than an unbeliever. Our reliance on God through prayer should clearly demonstrate that we have a heavenly father. Well, the last thing we need to understand about peace today is this. Peace comes from God not from the resolution of our trials. Peace comes from God. Look at verse 7 of Philippians 4. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. What is the nature of the peace that God gives? It is supernatural. Supernatural. It's beyond our way of understanding. If I have a difficulty and somebody comes along and moves that difficulty away and I now have a free path, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand. That's not supernatural, that's natural. Now sometimes God does that in some supernatural way. You know, There's nothing wrong with praying for God to remove the roadblock. But what God says is the basic nature of his peace, it is beyond our way to comprehend. Jesus said I'm going to give you peace but not the kind the world gives. Were Paul's prayers always answered in a humanly positive way? I want to go back to that Romans passage and look and ask see what he asked them to pray for. Remember he he made all these plans. I want to go here and there and do this and that and then I'm going to come see you on my way to Rome and so on. Now he says I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive, you work together with me in prayers to God. So he said, here's my plan, now will you pray for me? Pray that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Is that what happened? No, if you know your Bible, well, you know, that's not what happened. His life was spared, but it was spared through two years in jail. see See what he prayed here? I want to be delivered from those in Judea. Well, God said, okay, I'll keep you alive, but you're going to spend two years in jail. Now, would you be sitting there going, thank you, God, that I'm in jail? Okay, probably not. Was his prayer answered directly in a way that we would... We would look at that prayer and say, well, God didn't answer that prayer. And yet God did answer that prayer, but just in a different way. We don't know how he was received in Jerusalem when he took that offering down there. We know that in general, his reception in many places was less than uh, a pat on the back and welcome home, good friend. But we also know that he did make it to Rome as a prisoner. (laughs) I'm hoping to go to Rome and then on to Spain. I'm going to see you. I'm going to Spain. I'm going to visit you on my way, and we're going to have joy together, the Scripture said. And that's the time when Paul got to Rome, was in prison, and writing this verse right here. Did he get what he asked for in prayer? No. Did he live in prayer? Peace? Yes. Yes. Look what he says in, in verse 11 of this. We're going to jump ahead here just a minute. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Wow. I haven't learned that yet. But the Apostle Paul had. He said, I'm here in prison, the Lord's working, the guards are getting saved, the gospel's being preached. No problem! but it wasn't what he originally wanted or desired. The peace of God is the calming awareness of who he is in relation to our difficulties. And it comes directly from God through the Holy Spirit, not because things are perfect around us. The calming awareness of who he is in relation to our difficulties This year, for the first time in 10 summers, I have the greenest lawn on the block. It's lush, the grass is tall, and it's green. I mean, it's, it's almost green like, the, like an NFL football field. You know? That's because last year, I sprayed killer on the lawn laid on a truckload of composted manure, had it tilled, and planted new grass seed. Of course, when the new lawn began to grow this year, so did the weeds. So I set aside several places where the weeds could be and the rest of the lawn could be nice, but I just let the weeds be in those places there. I call it weed management. <laughs> if you're taking notes, look at the title of the sermon. This is not stress management. I've been to the classes. I've sat there and listened to the people teach about stress management. And I've never heard anybody say, you can have peace in the midst of difficulty. God wants to give you peace in the place of anxiety. He doesn't want you to manage your anxieties. He wants you to let them go to God and he will give you peace. Our society talks about stress management. God talks about stress replacement. Which one are you enjoying today? Heavenly Father, help us. Oh. We all have things that cause us anxiety on a daily basis. Some small, some large. Some last for weeks or months or years. Some last for a moment. We all have to work harder to practice this and just rest in you. So help us, Father. Help us to be a praying people and a thankful people as we pray. And as we give ourselves to you and rest in you, may we be a peaceful people. May we enjoy your blessing no matter what's going on. Father, I pray today for those who are really experiencing difficulty. And you know who they are. I don't. I pray especially for them that you would give them a vision of your peace in the midst of difficulty. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.